Amen. We do serve uh, a great God, and uh, His creation is uh, beautiful. Uh, we were able to uh, enjoy His creation out in West Virginia uh, last week, so we enjoyed. Uh, yeah, woo. Uh, uh, so we uh, missed seeing you all last Sunday as Jamie, Ezra, and I were with my mom's side of the family. We, we rented a big cabin. Uh, there were 27 of us in total. Uh, we all had uh, a great time. Uh, it was much needed as the older the family gets, the further spread out uh, the family gets. Everyone except uh, for one family of five used to live in Michigan. So we used to be a very centralized uh, family. And the family, of five li- the family of five lived less than two hours away in South Bend, Indiana. And the rest of us were in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. Um, but now the 27 of us are spread out in Michigan and Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania and South Carolina. So we're all spread out. So uh, it was uh, a joy uh, to get back uh, and to uh, just spend quality time uh, with my mom's side of the family. Um, And it's occasions like that where I get to spend an extended amount of time with fellow believers that I get really excited about God's kingdom. And I have the privilege of being able to go Another uh, extended amount of time in fellowship uh, with fellow believers at Fuel. Um, and uh, we just constantly had to remember every day of our lives that this is the hope that we are striving for. We get little glimpses of what it possibly may look like, like at Fuel or spending time with your family, fellow believers out in God's uh, creation. We get little tidbits here and there, um, but... It's, it's nothing like the real deal. The, the, the real deal, and, and we'll all be able to experience uh, when God's son Jesus descends from heaven to earth to establish this coming kingdom. And so we have to remember that is our hope as Christians, and we cannot let anything, nothing, we can't let anything get in the way of our hope of the kingdom. And today we're going to be starting a new series talking about these things that can possibly get in our way of the hope of the kingdom. And these things are called idols. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about combating our idols, combating these things that can stray us away from God's coming kingdom, stray us away from the hope that we have in God and his son and the coming kingdom. And so for the past four or five months uh, in my life, uh, the issue of idolatry has really been laid heavily on my heart. Um, It all started uh, four or five months ago when I read through uh, Timothy Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. Has anybody read through his book, Counterfeit Gods? Nobody. Uh, Awesome. Great. Um, uh, It's a wonderful read, and it really opened my eyes on the issue of idolatry and how relevant it is today in our society um, in the 21st century. And so some of the content throughout this series is inspired uh, by Timothy Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. If you've never, never read it before, um, consider this uh, a go-read-it uh, review. I would strongly uh, suggest you go reading it. It's, it's a really short read, and it's an easy read as well. So as we talk about idols and idolatry, the first thing that we have to do when we start this discussion is we have to define what exactly an idol is. Now, chances are when we uh, use the word idol, I'm guessing a handful of you guys, your, your initial thought is that of a statue. As when we read through the scriptures, we know that the Israelites, time and time again, they had many different statues, physical idols that they had. 
Now, according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the first two definitions of an idol are one, an objection or an object of extreme devotion, and two, a representation or symbol of worship. And this goes right along with our, our line of thinking and, and the type of idols that we will be talking about in this series, combating our idols. And in our setting, we're, we're actually we can define an idol as anything that is more important to us than God. That's how I want to define an idol throughout the, these next five weeks. An idol is anything that is more important to us than God. And this can really broaden our scope on idolatry. This means that if money is more important to you than God, then that means money then is an idol. That means if your job is more important to you than God, then guess what? Your job is an idol in your life. If America and politics are more important to you than God, then America and politics then are indeed an idol in your life. If even your spouse is more important to you than God, then guess what? Your spouse is an idol in your life. And I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and suggest that each and every one of us have struggled with idolatry in our lives. We all struggle or, or have struggled with putting other things or other people above God. And, and this is a dangerous practice that we can find ourselves in. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is, what does God think about this? What does God think when we put our spouse or money or our jobs above him? And we can get a, get a hint of what God thinks about this in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Exodus. And we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 19, just the second book of your Bible. And so we're going to be reading about the Israelites. And here the Israelites, they were just freed from Egypt. They lived in Egypt for 400 years, and uh, the latter portion of their time in Egypt, they were treated as slaves, and God miraculously freed the Israelites from Egypt through the 10 plagues. Many of you guys may be familiar with the 10 plagues. And so God freed his people, the Israelites. And so the Israelites, they were wandering around in the wilderness for um, some time. And then on the third moon, um, so approximately, I would say, three months after they were free from Egypt, the Israelites, they gather at Mount Sinai, a, a very important uh, location in the Old Testament. And as the Israelites are gathering at Mount Sinai, we can read in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, it reads, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down to Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went 
So here we see that, that God, he is appearing to the Israelites in this great thunderstorm. You know, we, we, we've had a couple of big thunderstorms uh, the, these past uh, couple weeks, specifically this past week. And here God is appearing to them in this great big thunderstorm. And Moses, uh, he, he is, is approaching God on this mountain. So he proceeds up the mountain. And we read in verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look Look, at, look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So, so God is giving Moses here instructions. Um, Moses saying that, hey, the, the, the Israelites, they, they can't approach this mountain as we have to set this limit. We have to set this border around this mountain. And so what we're going to read next in chapter 20, this is a conversation between God and Moses. And these are the laws that God is giving Moses to bring to the people. And so in chapter 20, my subtitle in my Bible reads, The Ten Commandments, probably commandments that most of us are familiar with. And so the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 reads, And God spoke all these words, saying, so again, this is God to Moses, and Moses is to deliver this to the Israelites. God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." So this is the start of the infamous Ten Commandments. And these first two commandments that we, that we read, they revolve around not forming any other gods and not forming any other idols above God. An interesting uh, side note, uh, the Catholic Church, they actually combine these two um, into one law, ver verses uh, 3 through 6 here. They, they combine it into not putting anything, not any gods or idols above God. But we read that God doesn't want this to take place because God is a jealous God. You know, that, that, that statement that where God says, I am a jealous God, that, that might alarm some of us. But it's very good that God is jealous as we rightfully belong to God and God doesn't like it when we give more of our attention to other things or other people. I mean, think about it in our terms. If you are married, uh, that spouse belongs to you and it's good if you, it's good to get jealous if your spouse is giving attention to, to someone else more than you because it shows that you have a love for your spouse. And so here, God being jealous for us, jealous for our attention, it shows us that God loves us. God wants us. God wants you. God wants a relationship with you. That's powerful. That's incredible. The same God who created the heavens and the earth wants a relationship with you. And when you don't give him the, the, the attention that he desires, he, he is a jealous God. He gets jealous because you rightfully belong 
to God. And so here, this is the first commands that God gives to Moses on Mount Sinai. It must have been a very important law to God that he would start off by saying, listen up, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make any idols. So no gods before me, no idols. And we can see this warning against idolatry spread throughout the scriptures as well. This is just the first command where we see this idea of not putting anything above God. Now, if we continue along in the story in Exodus chapter 20, God is talking to Moses on Mount Sinai. And for the, the following 11 chapters, God is giving Moses very specific laws and regulations that the Israelites are supposed to follow. And at the end of these 12 chapters of God talking about these rules, these laws that the Israelites are to follow, that takes us then to chapter 31, verse 18, where it reads, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him, this is God, God gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So at the end of this long conversation between God and Moses, mostly a monologue from God to Moses, God gives Moses two tablets of the testimony, two tablets of the law written on it, tablets written by God himself. That's pretty cool. That, that, that is an artifact. You know, a lot of people, they're, they're looking for artifacts. They're looking for memorabilia. That would be uh, an impressive memorabilia there. Tablets written by God himself. And now this takes us into an unfortunate uh, part of the story in chapter 32 of Exodus. So while God is talking to Moses on Mount Sinai, we get to see what the rest of the Israelites are doing at the foot of the mountain. At the same time that God is telling Moses, you shall not make any idols, you shall not make any other gods. And so in chapter 32, verse 1, it reads, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who had brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to him, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So here we see that at the same time God is instructing Moses to instruct the Israelites not to make any other gods, make any, make any others, make any idols, that's exactly what the people are doing. They are making an idol out of a golden calf for the people says, we don't know where Moses has gone, Aaron, so go and make us a golden calf. So they gather all their, their jewels together and they made this golden calf. And this is what they said of the golden calf in verse 4. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
So not only are the Israelites giving their attention to this golden calf rather than God, which God strictly forbid, but now they're ascribing the glory that rightfully belongs to God, and they're giving this glory to this golden calf, saying, these golden calves, these gods are the ones that freed us from Egypt, when all along it was God who freed them from Egypt. The Israelites, they really messed up here. And so how does God respond to the Israelites making idols at the same time God is telling Moses not to make idols? We see that in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So when God sees his beloved children, his beloved nation making an idol out of, out of the, these precious stones, God is filled with anger. He is filled with wrath, and he wanted to consume them right then and there. You know, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they're often depicted as the bride of God. And so imagine if your spouse went behind your back and, and loved on another person, then gave that, then gave the credit that ultimately belonged to you, and they gave that credit to the person they were loving on. That would fill us all with anger. And here God's bride, his people, they are giving their love to another thing, and they're giving the credit to another thing. And so, of course, God is not going to be happy. Of course, this is going to break God's and so God, he wanted to consume them right then and there. Well, Moses, he, he has a, a conversation uh, with God here in verses 11 uh, through 14. And Moses basically uh, tells God that, hey, um, maybe uh, you should reconsider. And God does. God does reconsider. And God has mercy on his people. He does not consume them right then and there. But then we read... In verse 15, sorry, we're doing a lot of reading uh, this morning. But in verse 15 uh, of chapter 32, as we continue this story, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And so Moses, after he has this conversation with God himself, he goes down and he checks the scene for himself. And when he sees that these people, they're singing songs of praise, they're, they're, they're shouting celebration around this golden calf, Moses then is filled with anger. And Moses, he takes these two precious stone tablets that God himself has inscribed the laws on, 
Moses takes them and he chucks them on the ground as he's filled with anger and these tablets, they are shattered. And, and I think this is an appropriate reaction from, no, for, from Moses, as I think it is a righteous anger. As we are called to hate sin and Moses hated this sin that his people were committing after all that God had done for and so here in this story, in this rather long story that, that we uh, read this morning, we see that this is the first time where God tells his people, the Israelites, that they are not to have any idols. They're not to put anything or anyone above him. And at the same exact time, the Israelites partake in the practice of idolatry. The same exact time. And this tendency, unfortunately, this tendency continues throughout the entire Old Testament. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see God's people committing idolatry time and time again. We simply don't have enough time uh, this morning to take a look at their continued flaw with idolatry. But on your own time, look at passages like 2 Kings chapter 17. Look at Psalm 78, Jeremiah chapter 3, Ezekiel 20, Hosea chapter 1. All these passages describe in detail the idolatry that the Israelites are practicing on a daily basis. They continue this tendency for thousands and thousands of years. In my humble opinion, this is the greatest flaw that the Israelites had. They were constantly putting other things other people, other gods before their Lord, Yahweh. I think that was their biggest flaw throughout their history. It's time and time they turned to these other things, these other people, the, the, these other statues, and it wrecked them. It totally wrecked them as a group of people. And we take a look at today in the 21st century, we see a lot of similar themes. We see, again, that people are partaking in the practice of idolatry. Again, the idea where we put anything or anyone above God. And we are called to run away, run away from idolatry. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run away. Run in the opposite direction from idolatry as it is a dangerous trap. And so today we are all called to get rid of the idols in our lives. They can become very, very dangerous as we begin to put our trust in idols. We begin to put our love in tritles and these idols, and these idols begin then to control us as they serve such an important role in our lives. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful with ourselves, the more we, we interact with these idols, the more our lives can feel as if they are becoming meaningless, as eventually we feel like we can't live without these things, and they become spiritual addictions to us. And it's, and it's an interesting fact about idols is that these idols, they are not inherently bad things. You know, when we talk about the idol of money, money is not an inherently bad thing. When we talk about the idol uh, of sex, sex is not a bad thing. 
or the idol of our family. Family is not a bad thing. These are inherently good things that we turn in to ultimate things. And when we turn these good things into the ultimate things in our lives, then they can wreck our lives. This idolatry of money, idolatry of sex, all these different idols, they can wreck our lives. We've been warned time and time again throughout the scriptures to run away from idolatry. It was the first command that God gave to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. It's to have no other gods and no other idols before him. And so as we begin this five-week series talk about combating our idols, we must remember that God must be our number one priority in our lives. Whenever someone or something becomes more important to us than God, then we have to remove that and we have to replace that with worshiping God as we must get rid of it. And so throughout this five weeks here, we're going to take a look at some of the major idols that we have today in the 21st century. I think you look in our society and our culture, and I think you take a look at three huge idols in uh, the, the lives of Americans. I think number one, we have relationships, relationships with other people, relationships with our spouses, relationships with our families, relationships with our friends. And these relationships are inherently good things. But when we value these relationships more than a relationship with God, they then become an idol in our lives. The second big idol that we'll talk about is the idol of money. As that's the American dream. The American dream to live like nobody else, to accumulate all this wealth so we can retire happily and live on all of this money. And before we know it, our whole life is revolved around serving for money. Money becomes our boss. Money becomes our idol. Another inherently good thing turned into a bad thing which can wreck us. And then finally, we'll take a look at the idol of success and power. As many of us, we have this drive to succeed in, the, in, in our workforce. We have this drive to succeed as parents, as the, even this drive to succeed in our ministry. When, the, when that strive to succeed overtakes our relationship with God, when that success is more important to us than our relationship with God, then success then becomes an idol in our lives as well. And we'll also take a look at some of the other hidden idols in our lives and how we can identify who or what an idol is in our lives. And so we have to remember the first two commands that God gave to the Israelites revolved around this issue of idolatry. It means a lot to God. When God saw his people committing uh, the, the, the sin of idolatry, God wanted to consume them right then and there so I encourage you to learn from the example of the Israelites, and we must focus on combating our idols. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you open our eyes to the idols that we may have in our lives. Father, I pray that we take this command, that we take this law, this warning very seriously to not put anything or anyone above you. Father, I pray as we continue this discussion on money and relationships and success and all the other hidden idols in our lives, Father, I pray that you open our eyes to any idols that we may have in our lives and that ultimately we, we remove those idols 
and we, we replace them with worshiping you, Father. So God, we love you. We look forward to your coming kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Only one name. <laughs>